Another scaring is sharing. Oh, we just keep coming at you whether you want us to or not. We're not going to stop every week. Don't stop till you get enough. Keep on. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah, we are. And I'm Brandy Joe the Flame and Scream Queen. And you are? Jeremy, the OG Sasquatch Slim. That's right. And we like to talk about horror movies. We do. And then we like to assign the other one a horror movie to watch that that person has never seen before. And then we come back together and talk about them. And I hope you already know that. Because <laughs> we would like to think that you guys are constant listeners and you know what's going on. But you might be a noob. And if you are, welcome. We love you. We do. We do. You're, very, you're a very special child. <laughs> you're a dream child. What? <laughs> Are you a fan of Nightmare on Elm Street 5? Uh, oh, God. I don't think I've seen it in so long. That's the kid one, right? I remember. Yeah, she's like pregnant. Yeah. I remember, like, I'm so well versed in one, two, and three. Like, I love the first three movies. And then from that point forward, it really drops off for me. Like, I remember scenes from like four. And five. I'm not even sure I've seen six. I don't think I've seen the whole thing. Okay. So, yeah. On um, It's Only a Podcast, they recently did, they reviewed all of them. Mm-hmm. And the, the top ones are kind of as you would as- expect. Yeah. One, two, and three. And then New no, Nightmare, it was probably. Actually, it was one, New Nightmare, and then three. Okay, of course. And you know, I, I think that it is actually just one of the hosts and not both of them who ranked them. Got it. But that but they put um whoever whomever it was after that sort of ranked how they, they felt about them, put the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street before Nightmare on Elm Street five and Freddy's Dead. And I don't know, I guess I would almost have to say like, well, I'd have to go back and watch them again to decide if I would do that ranking as well. Uh-huh. But like, I don't think I ever want to put myself through that ever again. No, you know, speaking of my DVD copy of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake sold at our garage sale. Oh yeah, did you sell for a dollar? One dollar and I didn't see it happen, but my wife says it was some elderly woman that bought it. So. <laughs> Oh my God, I love it. Yep, she bought that and my copy of Escape from New York. My extra copy I had that I sold. So, was that also a dollar or did you up that one a little bit? That one was $2. Oh, did you have any DVDs more expensive than $2? No. Okay. No, I only threw a few out there and those are the only two that sold. Nobody wanted my like, uh, what else did I? I had like some Star Trek movie and something else sitting out there but people didn't buy those i can't remember what the other one was probably some superhero movie so like i'm really like i don't i have like a handful maybe of dvds and some blu-rays like we got rid of a lot when we moved from our old house into the new one because we had so many that just were sitting there because we Mm -hmm. don't watch them much i stream almost everything but there is a movie called series seven the contenders Mm -hmm. that i've wanted to give you for forever but it is a nowhere and i just was looking it up today to see like where i could buy it and it is available on like ebay for like 20 bucks like a dvd and i'm like i might have to buy that just so i can maybe buy two copies so that you can watch it as well 
I know. I I have a uh, movie I've been wanting to give you just so we can talk about it. Um, but like the only way to find it is the freaking DVD copy I have of it. But I guess we also live like less than a mile from each other. Yeah. So so I will. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was like, when I give it to you, we will have to coordinate where I hand off the DVD to you, so you can see. The issue is there's like several cuts of the movie out there. And the one that I keep finding digitally to like grab off of like YouTube or something is not the correct cut. It's not the one I knew from watching it on video like a million years ago. So I will have okay. to like lend you the DVD of it. Okay. So I have to say last week I talked about some of our VIP FOPs. That's very important person, friend of the podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, and we have like, because we have a, a small handful of them. And we saw Tess at the barbecue we were at last week. We saw each other in person last Sunday yes. at a friend's housewarming slash birthday party. Mm -hmm. if you follow us on Insta. We post a little picture of us at the, the food table with a, a knife and a cake or a pie i think you had a pie cutter or pie, pie server cutter. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it was really great to see you and our friend tess who was a friend of the podcast was there and she actually was wearing a necklace that said friend of the podcast on it and i wish we would have gotten a picture but you know what i thought of someone i left off of our list which mm -hmm. is my friend rob who has written to us at least three times yes. so i want to say rob you are not forgotten and you're a vip fop as well and we appreciate you. We appreciate you. And that reminds me, I, uh, last night, uh, played uh, Dungeons and Dragons over at Nick the Knife's house. Nick! With the guys. So I saw, I hung out with Nick in person. And friend of the podcast, Ethan, was there and played oh, with us. Oh, uh, uh, he's a VIP FOP. Yes, he is. And we had a conversation. They both said that they wanted to write in our first bits of hate mail. Because uh, they listened to the last episode and screamed at me. Uh, Why? Listening, which is they hated Army of the Dead and couldn't believe that I <laughs> said I enjoyed it. So they gave me a tongue thrashing over that. Uh, and I'm here to mount a defense. No, not really. Uh, all I can say is like, I, I don't know, guys, I went in with such low expectations that watching it, like I just had fun with a stupid Zack Snyder zombie movie, but it's not a good movie. Like I can't give you like a serious, like cinematic defense for it, but. Well, also on that note, we not on the note of hate mail, but we do have um, a contender for a new VIP FOP. Ooh. And that's teacher Drew who <gasps> has written us again. Awesome. So I'm gonna read his letter that was sent to us via our Instagram, which is scaring as sharing all one word. And teacher Drew says, Hey guys, as usual, I was drawn into the conversation in your latest episode, specifically in my most memorable movie viewing moments. And need I say, memorable is an understatement. My sister and I went to an old retro drive-in to see a showing of the remastered original Exorcist. There was something extra creepy about being in your car surrounded by darkness. To add to the atmosphere, it was a dark and stormy night. On the screen, the climax was approaching, heads were spitting, vomit spewing, and bodies floating. Suddenly, at an especially intense moment, lightning struck the screen. It was an old wooden screen and it instantly caught fire. <laughs> People were screaming and truth be told, it was a little surreal. Everyone had to evacuate. The screen burned too quickly to be saved and sadly the owners decided not to rebuild. Crazy, what a memory. That's insane. That is insane. And other news is the movie Caveat on your radar. It is an Irish horror movie and is on Shudder. Thank God for Shudder. I'm curious to hear what you think. 
Thank you, gentlemen, and keep the episodes coming. Teacher Drew and Phoenix. Teacher Drew, I only saw he wrote. I didn't actually read the email until right now on the spot, and that's fucking insane. That's nuts, especially The Exorcist. Like The Exorcist. It's one of those movies that has like so many legendary stories. Like everyone's like, you know, the movie's cursed itself. Like you see it, like Satan has reached out and touched you like personally Ooh, so. oh i love it when satan touches me <laughs> it feels so Ooh. good his mm-hmm. hand is so warm it, it very <laughs> that's amazing teacher drew thank you oh my god if anyone else has insane stories of watching a movie and something wild happening while watching it because i know that those are out there and i can't think of any that i have but that is awesome and i just love the idea of watching the exorcist at a drive-in yeah absolutely it was playing uh like last halloween season at the ford drive-in here yeah the ford had it there was like a road show thing going on where it was a double feature of the exorcist and poltergeist oh playing at drive my god i was sad i missed it because i was like that would have been something i yeah i really want to go there i know we've talked about it before on here but the ford wyoming drive-in is here in michigan and they do like double and sometimes triple features there and they have like four screens and right now there's nothing good unfortunately no, it's, they said i saw somebody on facebook uh like asking them hey are you guys gonna start doing the retro horror movies again because they did a ton of them last summer they had like double features of like the original halloween with the first mm. scream or like oh, the first yeah the first two nightmare on elm streets together stuff like that and it's like they said they're going they're planning it because summer is big for you know i guess old horror movies so hopefully they get some cool ones again they were they kept playing like the original evil dead last summer like throughout it stuff like that so Speaking of movie theaters, have you heard the ultra sad news about the main art in Royal Oak? Just read it this morning. Closing. So depressing. It -hmm. is a like really lovely art house theater here in Michigan. If you're not from around here, they often do midnight movies in the the summer. I think maybe in the I don't know if it goes. I think it's maybe more than just the summer. I think it maybe all year, maybe all year. I remember I saw Suspiria. Yeah. I've seen a handful of other things. That's just the one that really stands out to me was Suspiria. I saw Videodrome there at a midnight uh, screening and it was clearly with like a theater full of people. Well, not full, but you know, there was like a dozen people there and a bunch of them clearly had never seen Videodrome because there was tons of squirming. Yes, there was audible gasps and what the fucks from the uh, audience as the movie unfolded. So I was like, that was a great movie going memory. Yeah, I've seen an awful lot there. The one that stands out is Pan's Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. But yes, it's very sad. Something about like their landlord is kicking them out. I don't, I would think that someone owned that. I don't know the full story. I'm sure at some point we'll hear it. It's very sad though. And hopefully a miracle happens and it doesn't go away. But that would be great. That would be great. So hearing Teacher Drew's story about the exorcist, like for some reason, probably because I'm like, you know, a dirty old perv, the sexorcist popped in my mind. And I was like, surely there must be a porn of the sexorcist. And mm-hmm. it made me wonder, like, what horror porns are you familiar with? <laughs> I actually can't think of any. I just know all the um, there's a lot of like and none of them have clever names because I know there was like years, a few years back, there was a Batman like 
I think it was just called Batman Triple X, but they did like people people were commenting on how comic book accurate the storyline was, like for porn. <laughs> they went and like actually were following canon and referencing it in it. And I know there's a lot of Star Wars stuff. What was there is a uh, there's a Planet of the Apes one I had heard of like not that long ago uh, that had a clever name that I can't even remember what it is. So. I've seen a couple. My boyfriend in college, Danny, had a, a few straight roommates and they were all like really dirty as well. And they had the Texas Dildo Masquerade is what it was called. It wasn't even the Texas Dildo Massacre. It was the Texas Dildo Masquerade. I just remember there was like the grandpa character and that grossed me out so much because he was just like this, you know, like uh -huh. just this, like just so gross. Uh -huh. I remember there were lots of dildos, and um, it was a straight porn. And then I also saw Edward Penis Hands. I remember. Oh, that. I was gonna say I remember. I've never seen it, but I remembered hearing about it like as a teenager, as a youth. Edward Penis Hands. I think it would show on like Cinemax or Skinemax or whatever one of the you know late night cable channels. So friends had told me about it. I'm just looking through a list here of some and there's Evil Head. Oh, of course. The XX Exorcist. Oh, yeah, not as clever as the Sexorcist. That's the no. best. That'd be a better name. The Hills Have Thighs. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yeah. The Shaft instead of the Craft. Oh, but that <laughs> that there's already Shaft, you know, the classic <laughs> yeah. action movie. So. so that's weird. Re-penetrator. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, those are just a few. I was curious if you'd seen any, but of course you're like wholesome and pure. I'm so, yes, wholesome and pure. And not at all like me. Also, going off Teacher Drew's letter, I did watch Caveat last week because I've been very excited about watching it. Have you seen a trailer? I've or never even it? heard of it. So as he mentioned, it's Irish and there's the sort of setup for it is that this guy gets paid, I don't remember how much money to go and like, babysit this guy's niece i believe it was in this house but then like he shows up to the house and the house is like in this island and he has to be like strapped to this vest and like chained to the floor so he can only travel so far within the house and he's like locked into this like vest mm -hmm. i got the impression from teacher drew's letter that he liked the film i did not like the film mm. I just, I did it. I just did it. I just, I just didn't. Mm -hmm. I was not a crazy fan of it. I just felt it was a little too, I mean, all, horror for the most part is a little far-fetched. It's, you always kind of have to stretch your imagination a little bit, but like, I just was, it was just a little too much for me. And not that I, I don't need action all the time. I love just some good characterizations, but it just was a little... I felt like some horrible decisions were made. Also a horror movie staple. The reason I was so excited for it was though, this, the girl in it has this toy like bunny that has like drums, like a, like one of those like monkeys, you know, mm -hmm. and she would just like, she'll like hold it out and it would just like play drums, but it looks like, have you ever, there's this Alice in Wonderland. I want to say like from the seventies or eighties and it's creepy with like puppets and like stop motion. You know what I'm talking about? The one by uh, Jan Svenkmeyer. Yes. The Czech, the Czech filmmaker. Yes. I think it's I maybe just called Alice or something. It's just like called that. Alice. Yeah. I, I love that movie. I've never seen it, but I've seen pictures and like stills and it looks so creepy. And that's like what this Ooh. rabbit like looks like. Yeah. I think that movie is horror adjacent enough that I've thought about 
putting it on the list. So if you've never seen that, I've like, not, and I've always wanted to because it looks it's fucking as fuck. biz- it's fucking bizarre. So yeah, the the rabbit looks like that, and the rabbit is the creepiest part about it. There's like one little like scare in it that's pretty good. I just didn't give into it. And the lead guy's like hot. Like he's like sort of rough trade looking with like this scraggly beard. And he just, I think he has a beard. Maybe they show him at like two different times. And I just, I, I yeah, I, I was hoping it was going to be better than it was. I was not a fan, but teacher drew, if you liked it, I'm so proud of you. And I'm glad because <laughs> you know, everything is not everyone's taste. And that was not mine. And Jeremy, I don't believe you would like it. But mm-hmm. who knows? So if you do watch it, I would be curious of your thoughts. But I, I probably won't give it to you because I don't know that I would like to see it again. Again, gotcha. <laughs> but it is on Shutter, and yes, Teacher Drew, thank God or Goddess for Shutter because it is just great. I love it. Ab- absolutely. And speaking of Shutter, that's where what you know, getting into what I watched yes, recently, which tell. was not not very much this you know past week, but I did. Finally check out. It's a movie I've heard talked about. I've seen reviews of it on YouTube. It's a little more obscure, but it's like it's cult brand has been building in recent years. Thanks to the internet. It's a flick from the eighties called spookies. Mm -hmm. And it is fucking weird, man. I finally watched it. Uh, The story goes, if you're ever bored, just go on the internet and you can find a bunch of articles written about this movie. Like the making of it is pretty interesting where it was like an independent horror flick the original directors it was like two guys were directing it as a team and they started shooting a movie and they got like 40 minutes of usable footage done before they fought fights with the producer uh ended up with them being fired uh and then the producer still wanted to finish the movie he hired a new director new actors because everybody left the production just totally fell apart and they pretty much had to build a new production shot 40 more minutes of footage and then tried to put those together. And what you have is this super disjointed movie with like, there's a storyline of the set of characters going to a house for like a party or something. Like none of it makes sense. Like nothing like, cause they go to this house, they were looking for a party, but they just go to this abandoned haunted house and all get killed off by monsters. There's this other storyline of a little boy that just kind of like, now that I'm remembering it, that goes nowhere and just kind of stops at one point. Like it's so disjointed, but really the only like saving grace of the movie is they, it said the producer knew that he had to keep people's attention because what he had was not like a coherent movie. So it's like every 10 minutes, some new insane monster is introduced of like crazy creature effects or costumes. So it's just full of monsters, like more monsters than you could ever think of. It's got like, zombies it's got an octopus monster it's got a spider a lady that turns into a giant spider it's got a cat that's dressed like a a, a, it's a cat man dressed like a pirate with a hook for a hand like it's nuts and that's only like a fraction of the monsters in it yeah i'm looking at i remember seeing the the box it almost looks like a dracula character yeah yeah there's a plot line with an old german or man doing a very bad german accent that's like a ghost man that's watching the proceedings like it's insane yeah it looks wacky as fuck was it fun yes it had it has a lot of fun moments it's got a lot of so bad they're good type moments where you're like there's no way they could have taken this serious while filming it it's got its lulls it's one of those movies where like i'd love to give a rating for you but it defies rating because it's one of those like it's bad but it's amazing at the same time so it's hard like a troll too almost it's almost there as like one of those type of movies not quite 
as memorable, I think, as those, but it's definitely, I could see this as a great, like, late night, you know, you'd go to a screening, like, something like the main art theater should have played this. Or Strange Cinema Saturdays. Or Strange Cinema Saturdays, yep, this would be a great thing to watch with friends, and just, you'll, you'll say what the fuck so many times watching this thing, it defies, like, comprehension. And this is a new acquisition on Shudder? I think so. I know that like this was a movie, the story I'd always heard and why it was underseen for a long time is it, it was in the United States. It went like straight to video. Like I look, I heard a fact that it only made $17,000 in theaters. Wow. Which is nothing for a theatrical movie. Uh, and then it went to video. It played on like cable a lot. Like I, I had vague knowledge of it, I think, because like, you know, USA up all night used to play it all the time. Uh, and then it just languished on like it was only on VHS for a long, long time. And in recent years, I think it was Vinegar Syndrome got a hold of it and re this is a this is a, a new restoration that's on Shutter, And so that's floating around out there now. So. So, you know, USA up all night, like they used to have all those 900 numbers back in the day. Yes. Yeah. Like, I don't even remember 976 numbers except for from 976 Evil. So I don't know if that was like. Uh, area location sort of thing, but I only remember 900 numbers. Mm -hmm. But I remember there was a Freddy Krueger one. Yeah. And it's like, do you think you just call and it would just be like a recording of Robert England like talking? And you... I, I I think that's what it was. I think it was like pre-recorded. That is so shit. weird. Like I can get like phone sex and like calling and like talking to a live person who yeah. like gets you off. But like calling and just hearing like Freddy Krueger talk. <laughs> yeah. And you're <laughs> like, oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't like I'm going to stick it in you. I'm sure he was like, I'm going to kill you or I killed this girl or whatever. Like, I just can't imagine. Like, if anyone out there called the Freddy Krueger 900 number, I must know. Tell now. us, please. We have to know about it. Oh, my God. And I'm sure your parents were pissed. One time in high school, I, it was the summer I was in Washington, D.C. as a, a Senate intern. And I had, like, my own apartment. Like, I was sort of, like, subletting these people's basement. And I had my own phone. And I was calling this phone sex line a lot. And it didn't have, like, a 900 number. So mm -hmm. I thought that I was, like, like that it was, like, regular long distance. Uh-huh. Until one day, I picked up my phone to like call my parents and my phone was turned off. And so I called like mm -hmm. the phone company, my bill in like a three week span was like $750 and my oh, phone had no. been turned off. Oh no. Yeah. So that was really great because I was calling like the Bahamas at like, Oh shit. So it was international a minute or something insane. Yeah, like it that. was international. Yes. Oh, so I man. tried not to like tell my parents like I had like a phone card like I could get calls in but I couldn't make calls out it was one of those situations. Uh -huh. So like I never called them or I would use like a phone card to call them back in the days of phone cards. And then I went away to college because it was like right after my senior year. And I thought I had like forwarded all my mail, but they got one of my bills like that it was like $500 at that point because I paid off a little bit. And they were like, what is this all about? And I was like, I was having phone sex. And they're like, excuse me? And I was like, I was having phone sex. I'm sorry. <laughs> and they paid it off and then I had to pay them back. It was so embarrassing. They didn't know it was gay phone sex, but it was. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad, I know you're not listening, but if you are, <laughs> I'm sure by this point they know. Yeah, I, yeah, they should assume, right? Yeah, it would have been really horrible if it was straight phone sex because I was still sort of lying to myself at that point. Like if I would have had, have had a $750 phone bill to straight phone sex, that would have been horrible.
yeah, just the lie on top of it. <laughs> it's the lie to myself. This is Pride mm -hmm. Month. You must be proud of who you are. Mm-hmm. All right, that was my tangy. Did you watch anything else besides Spookies? It's no, no. The only other thing I wanted to bring up is uh, I, actually just this morning before we recorded, I watched the Simpsons episode uh, that is a spoof of Cape Fear. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and that got me thinking about Oh, Cape Fear. I was like, that's, that's, uh, we've talked about this before a little bit. Uh, it's one of those, the original and the remake are both excellent movies. It's like one of those cases where the remake is just as good as the original and it's its own, like, yeah, awesome movie. So I think that the remake is better. It's just so fucking dark. Yeah, it is so dark. Juliet Lewis is so goddamn good in that. Yeah. And, and for its time period, though, the original is such a, twisted movie as well so it, like they both stand up as like great films much like you know we talk about like i think before we discussed the fly the versions of the fly and the thing and all the other ones that people mention as like great original great remake and they're like their own distinct movies at our theater the ringwald at the old space we did this show called mr burns have we talked about this before you and i not you and I, but I know the movie, my wife's or uh, the show. My wife's told me about it. So like it, it, they retell because like the, the electricity grid has gone out. So they retell like episodes of TV shows. And then it like the first act is like, you know, six months after the power grid goes out. The second act is like six years later. And then the third act is like 70 years later. And there's like still no power, but in the 70 years later, you're seeing how the story of the Cape Fear episode of The Simpsons has evolved through storytelling. And mm -hmm. it's all like Bart is like this Christ-like sort of figure. And it, it is just like if you like theater, even if you don't, it's just a really fucking cool play. If someone around you is doing Mr. Burns, I recommend going to check it out because it is creative and cool and just touches on that whole storytelling aspect. And mm -hmm. it's really just so brilliant. So check it out. And yes, that every time I think of that episode, that's what I think of because I get awesome. into that. Yeah. Awesome. I did have a bit of uh, news I saw too. Oh, what? Um, relating to, well, I have two things of trauma related news. Okay. First off is apparently a couple episodes ago, we talked about how Elijah Wood was said to be joining the Toxic Avenger cast. As the Villy. As the Villy. Apparently that's not true. Oh. Uh, because apparently they jumped the gun and reported that too soon. He was a rumor. He was, you know, up. He was a contender for the role, apparently. But it doesn't look like he got it. You can't believe everything you hear. Exactly. Because now the news is saying officially cast is Kevin Bacon as the villain. Okay. Which is a weird <laughs> turn from Elijah Wood to Kevin Bacon. But I'll take it because we got, you know, Mr. Bacon is another longtime champion of the horror genre. And Lovester of Echoes. Stir echoes, tremors. Friday the Thirteenth. Friday the Thirteenth, the original. There's more. There's more I, that I'm not even thinking of. I know it, but yeah, that's awesome. I I'm a fan. just saw a still of that movie he did with Amanda Seyfried. Seyfried, you should have left. I read the book, which was not great. I didn't love it. Mm -hmm. And then they did that movie. It's like a Netflix. But he's. They show a shot of of the movie, and he's wearing essentially Mrs. Voorhees sweater from Friday the 13th, oh, cool. it looks just like it. It's amazing. And I was like, oh, oh cool. my God, it's not, it doesn't make me want to see the movie, but, but yeah. Cool. And the other bit of trauma news is trauma just released a package of like 70 of their movies. 
Whoa. Uh, that they own the rights to to uh, distributors. Oh, uh, okay. For exhibitions. So expect uh, movie theaters and drive-ins and stuff to start playing their movies uh, more regularly. Hopefully that'd be good. Ford Wyoming, grab Toxic Avenger or something like that. But yeah. I was even I was even jumping online and I was like, shit, man, how much does it cost to like book one of their movies? Like we should talk with Planet Ant when they're opened up and be like, do some trauma screenings, man. Yeah, that would be cool. I thought you meant like they were releasing like a collection. Like that a would be cool. Of that would be awesome. Of their films. Like that, that would, would be, be wild. That would be awesome. But no, this is for uh, distribution. But okay. uh, expect to see some screenings. That would be awesome. Sweet. That's very exciting. Absolutely. Did you watch or do you have any interest in watching Amusement Park, the Romero movie that's on Shutter? Very much so. Especially just as like a as a as an oddity yeah i have no interest i watched the trailer and i was like that looks uh boring af i have no interest in seeing that yeah i, I guess it's like, really not a horror movie but no it, it sounds like it, me as a gigantic film nerd of course i'm i'm interested to see like a director uh that's considered you know such a great director like a weird piece of lost film of theirs because it's not even like it wasn't actually a feature film either yeah i think it's short yeah, it's like under an hour and it was done as like a like a PSA. It was like a public service announcement type thing that some like Lutheran church group funded for him. That is so weird. I don't know why they decided that the man like this is post like he had already done Night of the Living Dead. He had done um, the crazies at this point. I don't know why they went to that guy and were like, you're the one not yet Dawn of the Dead, but they went to him like, oh, you make these frightening horror movies. You're the perfect guy to do this church thing but is the original crazies good i it's weird i like the remake i think the, the remake. remake was really good yeah the remake was pretty good uh the original crazies is i i think it's worth a watch i don't think it's as good as his living dead you know movies but uh it's it's uh it's like a lesser masterpiece of his canon okay but and now that i'm saying this i know like R romero's history too and he actually before he made night of the living dead he already had a career as like what they would call industrial film maker so he would mm -hmm. do a lot of like training video or training film and advertisement and stuff for uh car companies like steel companies he actually shot segments for mr rogers weird early in his career yeah he did uh famously he did the one about uh going to the doctor okay from, like way back in the back in the 60s so that is really bizarre the more you know Doo -doo -doo. <laughs> shall we share our scares with each other let's do it what are you gonna give me i go first this week right all right i'm going to give you a flick that speaks summer fun to me uh and that is the burbs with tom hanks oh it's about time uh I know it's been sitting there for a while. I know it's like a horror comedy. I feel like some creepy people move in next door to Tom Hanks and his family. He doesn't know what's going on with them. I think they're going to be killers and he's going to like try to like, I think it's be like a rear windowy sort of thing. Like he's going to see something, try to tell his family like, oh my God, I saw them kill somebody and they're not going to believe him. And so... <sighs> And I don't know if it, I don't think it deals with like UFO, like monsters, but I feel like it's a little crazier than like just a killer, but he's going to, you know, have to like save the neighborhood and um, goodness will win. That's what I say. He will save the neighborhood. People will finally believe him. He's going to run around in a robe at some point with a spatula. I think that's on the poster. Yeah, that's about all I know. So murderous neighbors. Rear window, vibes, the end. 
Hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but I'm really excited to watch it. That sounds like a really fun summer watch. So good, good, good choosing. Yeah. I am going to give you an honor of Pride Month and a couple of options. But I'm going to go with what I think is the obvious choice, which is Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Awesome. The documentary. Yeah, it's been a minute since we did a documentary, so it has I love, been. I love switching it up like that. I'm excited to watch this. I know it's the guy that starred in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2. His name's escaping me right now. Um, I feel like when he made the movie, was he... I don't think he was out when he made Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Um, and of course, that movie, it's long been debated because it has very homoerotic undertones. I would say overtones. I wouldn't even say they're under overtones in that movie that it's been debated. Were they intentional? Weren't they? Uh, people have seemed to have changed their story over the years about it. But yeah, I'm excited to watch this documentary. I don't know a lot about it other than it's about this guy and his life maybe since the movie. So, because I know he kind of, I don't think he continued acting. I feel like he had kind of a brief acting career and then did other things. So I'm excited to see what happened. Cool. Shudder. Shudder, baby. Awesome. And I'm probably going to have to rewatch Nightmare on Elm Street 2 as well. So I know I was thinking that, about that as well. Throw that in there as a little side, little side yeah. action. Yeah, I might have to. Cool. Well, sweet. Well, we'll be back in a moment to talk about them. Let's do it. Don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Hey, everybody. We're back. Yes, we are. Returned from the embrace of the crypt <laughs> i don't know I'm there's got to be some fun jokes we can put in there when we the come grasp back. of ghouls the <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just love some alliteration you know yeah that's always good you throw in a lot of alliteration that's creepy i hear seduced by suck you by <laughs> yep there you go i like had it and then it disappeared <laughs> it's called being old or as they say in the movie we're about to talk about look it's all here incubus succubus <laughs> all right well let's get going uh without further ado the first flick we watched was the burbs directed yes. by joe dante starring tom hanks of course uh and the tagline off of letterboxd is he's a man of peace in a savage land suburbia and the description is when secretive new neighbors move in next door, suburbanite Ray Peterson and his friends let their paranoia get the best of them as they start to suspect the newcomers of evil doings and commence an investigation. But it's hardly how Ray, who much prefers drinking beer, reading his newspaper, and watching a ball game on the tube, expected to spend his vacation. The end. The end. That's it. I love it so much when a movie does that thing with opening credits where the company logo is incorporated mm -hmm. and this one does it so well and i wonder like i know people are so companies especially mainstream corporations are so stingy about the use of their logos that i wonder do they have to pay like a lot of extra money for that do they just have to pitch it and say like is it okay that we take the universal logo and then we're going to go inside of it <laughs> zoom or, in on it you know turn it into a cartoon like all these things that different movies do it just mm -hmm. made me think about it because i've been doing a lot of logo stuff with ford who i work with and they're just so like you 
can only do these certain things. And it's just made me wonder, because I really did love that opening sequence. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I liked a few. I liked that um, there was Mr. Rogers in there, and then he played Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I liked that um, dream sequence right after the little um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 Mm -hmm. little call out. I liked the last line at the end when Corey Feldman looks at the camera. Mm -hmm. But that was about it. (laughs) That literally was about it. I I just was, I don't know that I even cracked a smile except for the beginning with that logo i was like cool like i was in it like i was like this is cool oh and the music i did like the music i was uh-huh. like is this danny elfman and no it was someone else or was it danny elfman no it's no. uh jerry goldsmith thank you i was like I-, I feel like it's danny elfman and then that came up and i was like oh yeah that tracks as well yep yeah but that whole opening sequence is so fun and kind of magical and i was like what are we gonna do here and then I just didn't care about any of them. And I I was so sad for Carrie Fisher because I feel her character was so boring. Like, I was like, at least give her something fun to do. At least let her be funny. And I didn't feel like she ever was. Hmm. I don't know. I just never got invested in these guys. Wow. I read one letterboxed review that I I forgot to write down who it was, but it sort of sums up my feelings. It's a little harsher than my feelings. But it says, there's a scene in the Burbs where two of the main characters wade through the back of a garbage truck looking for evidence of a crime. Watching this movie was the equivalent to wading through scenes of garbage hoping to find some semblance of comedy and substance. Wow. <laughs> and like I said, that's a little harsh, but I did kind of feel the same way. I just kept waiting for something like crazy and fun to happen. And then it just kept, I just felt like I kept getting let down further as opposed to like being brought up. And I wonder if there's something to having watched this when you're younger. I don't know. Cause you watched it as a kid, right? Yeah. I grew up with this movie. My parents loved this movie and then they bestowed it on me. They bestowed um, it. Yeah. Cause this was one of those like on cable all the time. And they're like, watch this flick. You'll like this. And I, it fucking cracks me up every time. That's where I'm like left. I'm like, oh my God. I love Tom Hanks in this movie. This is one of my favorite roles he's ever done. Really? And yeah, I love absolutely. him. And I love Big, like, which is around this time, I think a little before. But like, I love that old classic Tom Hanks. I think he's like never been cuter than he is in this movie. And I just was like, dude, I'm not on your side. I think you're annoying. And like, you're being mean to your neighbors. And then the Malachi showed up and that was kind of fun that Malachi from Children of the Corn was there. Mm-hmm. I feel like it looks pretty cool. I just could never. And I, I know I'm in a minority here. I mean, you go on Letterboxd, I had to search far and wide for some negative comments because people are like, oh, four stars, four stars. I'm like, yeah. are you kidding me? I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Jeez, man, harsh. I know. I guess that there's some sort of reason I'd never seen this. I think... So Somewhere what, deep what, in my psyche. What I do you think must, it was? What do you think it was that you didn't connect with anyone? I Well, I don't think it was funny. And I don't uh-huh. think it was like scary. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's this weird, like what? I didn't even look to see what it's rated. Is it rated PG? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, and not that I, like, I love The Ring. I think there's some other really great PG-13 horror movies. Like, I don't think it has to be like R-rated in order to be good. Like, you don't have to have blood and guts. 
I just like I I think that there wasn't like the mystery there. Like there was like weird things going on in the basement, and then the whole neighborhood was just against this new house because they were a little different than them. And to me, they seemed like Amish for a while, like the people living in the house. And I just thought, like, why are you guys like so? I just wish there was a, a better setup to being creeped out or weirded out by them because like the son's like i saw him digging in the backyard but the, just there never seemed to be a good reason sure to be fearful slash paranoid about these neighbors and then i think that group of bumbling guys those three guys along with like the half bumbler of Corey feldman uh-huh. just i was like you guys are just weird and tom hanks was mean to his wife and she was boring <laughs> like i liked the dog the most of the characters muffy or whatever i can't queenie it's it's funny too because i because i rewatched this with my wife and as we were watching it too i'm like i feel like i have a connection to this movie because this movie was my fucking life growing up like this was my suburban experience uh, it was very similar because the stories where they tell the story about the ice cream man that went crazy and murdered his family and stuff like that. I'm like, yes, I connect to all of this because it, it just in my little neighborhood growing up, like there's a story like, well, you know, the lady, that the old lady that lives alone there, like she went nuts one day and murdered her husband. But like she got off because she was mentally unwell. Now she just lives in that house. All, you know, there's a million stories like that, that you never know if they're true or not. They just floated around between people in the neighborhood. Um, and that's like really what this movie's about to me. It's just the weirdness of suburbia. Uh, it, it's funny too that you mentioned, you know, they were just mean to the neighbors for no reason. That was the original ending. Like they shot the ending where, you know, they blow up the house and all that, but it comes to light that the neighbors were totally innocent and not just wanted to be left alone. Uh, and then the studio was like, no, you, yeah, the, Tom Hanks can't be, that despicable he has to be justified in some way so then they reshot the ending where they're actually serial killers and like i could tell there's like some satire in there but i guess i was hoping it would have just leaned into it a little harder like i felt like it just was like sort of trying to be a little satirical but it didn't want to like fully go there because it's like a tom hanks movie so it's like we're not gonna like really go there we're just gonna sort of like scratch enough off the scratch card that you can't really tell if you want or not like Mm -hmm. Just like a, a brief dusting. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't grow up in suburb. Like I grew up in a small town. So I didn't grow up with this experience. And while I live in a suburb now, the suburbs are different than they were back in the yeah. 80s. The, the late 80s. Is that when this is? 89. Yeah. So I don't know if there's something to that. It's also interesting because like I was finishing up with it and Joe came in and he was like, are you enjoying this? And I was like, uh, no. And he's like, yeah, I don't like this movie either, which is just interesting. Like, he also doesn't connect with it. And here's the thing. I never, I wasn't like, fuck this movie. This movie's a piece of garbage, like that review kind of said. But, like, I just could have cared less. My, I was not invested whatsoever. And it started mm-hmm. off, like, the, those first, like, three minutes, I'm like, oh fuck yeah this has some style and some pizzazz and look at tom hanks and then it just like once he started meeting like the guys around the neighborhood and like just the guy with the dog goes missing and that sort of sets off this everything yeah and i i was just like hmm and then that like second reveal at the end in the ambulance i was kind of like 
<laughs> too little too late like i guess i just wish like once we also like once we got like i was excited about malachi and i was like oh fun he's like a weirdo you definitely could look at him and be like this is an interesting character like what's going on here but then you meet all the guys in the house the two guys two guys right the two little guys three mm -hmm. there's two. three of them all together three. three all together malachi and the two little old guys yeah and that's where i started to go oh no this isn't terribly exciting i guess i just wanted it to i could tell it was sort of feeding into like satanic panic of like the 80s like it seemed oh, like yeah. there was a little bit of that this movie's yeah definitely making fun because that's it was funny where as i rewatched it this time i would and then i read a review on litterbox where somebody kind of pointed to that and i'm like yeah it is funny that th there's a couple other movies we've covered too from the 80s that are commenting on culture of the 80s but feel relevant still today where you have they live where that's all about you know class warfare essentially and the the one percenters all that kind of stuff and it feels it was about you know reagan's america and it feels even more relevant today uh we did videodrome which is of course all about our relationship to our entertainment technology uh and that feels again with YouTube and everything, you know, that came later, it's felt kind of uh, predictive of where we were going in our symbiosis with our technology. Uh, and this movie, which uh, the review kind of made me think, oh yeah, that's right. This movie feels like a commentary on white suburbia and the fact that you have like the new family moves in that's not at all like anybody else and therefore they're an other, they are not to be trusted. And, you know, we're feeling that that's still a huge problem of suburbia today, uh, like the the white middle class monolith of how it was, and it's still a problem. But it feels it feels interesting that that's a movie they're commenting on that, and here we are. It still feels relevant. In I some guess ways. I wish, in my mind, what would have been a better thing to bring that home would have been like Tom Hanks finds out like all of his friends are actually in a cult or his wife is the cult leader like something where it's like they all are going towards this very mm -hmm. obvious target of like the foreigner who's next door and it ends up being everyone else like something like that like if there would have been a turn of the tables as opposed to being like we think it's this we know it's this we know it's this no it's not that yes it is that the end like it just mm -hmm. to me I think, and here's the thing. I'm not going to speak for the entire gay community because we're all very different people. But it's interesting that Joe and myself are big old queens and didn't care for this. Yet everyone else I know who really loves this are straight people. <laughs> yeah. I is it know. a straight versus the gay? Is that uh, what this episode is about? Is it? Is it exactly what our second movie is going to be talking about? Is it something to do with otherness? Are you too connected to otherness? And am I... Am I too straight and white and suburban? <laughs> so I relate to those characters very hard, hard, you like very innately. Yeah, I don't know. But like I said, I didn't think it's like a, a poorly made movie. I just, yeah, as, as it happens with us from time to time, just no connection. And I just sat there watching it sort of ambivalent, mm -hmm. I guess. I see. So I guess we're a little bit of a split scream here. I just came yeah. up with that on the fly. Yeah, split we're, we're, scream. we're got a we're, new one for you, Nick. Crank that sound out. <laughs> we're we're at an impasse here because I would love to keep going, but I uh, I fucking no. But love please, it. if you have some other things, some tidbits, I fucking love this movie. So it's please, hard. Did your to... wife love this movie? Yeah, she likes this movie a lot too. Okay. After watching it this time too, I was like, "You are the Carrie Fisher to my Tom Hanks," because that is our existence. She, <laughs> she is me. much more interesting than Carrie Fisher is in this. See, movie. I like Carrie Fisher a lot. 
in this movie too, this was like a sexual awakening for me too. Like I'm really into Carrie Fisher in this movie. Was that was as a kid. Yeah. I oh, mean, wow. I was into Carrie. Carrie Fisher is like, of course, like all Star Wars nerds. She's my original celebrity crush like ever. So, but yeah, she stops me from being crazy. My wife, that is, uh, stops me from being going full Tom Hanks crazy. But she tells me that I, uh, I peep on the neighborhood too much. You know, I'm aware of what's going on in the street. I'm seeing what the neighbors are up to. So I relate to that now too, as a homeowner. Your wife strikes me as being more so that than you. Is no, that not the case? it's totally the opposite. <laughs> I could see her with like a telescope and binoculars, like spying on the neighbors and coming in and telling you to come, come look, come look, come no, look. No, it's the other way around. <laughs> I am the one that's watching. That's like, what are they up to over there? Okay, okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right. She could care less. <laughs> but uh yeah no i don't i'm trying to think if there's anything other than that ending where they like radically changed the ending where it was going to turn out that these guys it, you know in the original conception it was darker and it was going to be more about the fact that like these neighbor dudes are the real assholes and in the end they're just harassing these people uh that were innocent all along but the studio didn't like that and of course, it's Joe Dante, and it's filled with a bunch of Joe Dante. Robert Picardo and Dick Miller play the garbage men, uh, mm-hmm. who are Joe Dante regulars. Uh, staples, they, if you will. Staples. They pop up all the time in his work. And Corey Feldman, too, uh, was in a couple. At least okay. Gremlins. At least Gremlins, maybe another one of Joe Dante's. So The ever-prevalent Corey Feldman, who's in every movie that was made in the 80s. True. But yeah, man. My predictions were yeah. kind of on like Rear Window. I don't know yeah. how I knew that, but like that came up in lots of letterbox reviews, just talking about how it yeah. is sort of that. But also there isn't that real inciting incident. Like he sees like lights flashing mm-hmm. and his son says But in Rear Window, like he's pretty sure he sees someone get killed. Like it's the inciting action is like very much like this big thing and here i feel like they're just little things well they find they find the human bone out of the yard that that the dog's got so all right yeah it's still just like maybe as someone maybe the dog dug up a grave at the graveyard it's it's like a building i see this movie as a building where they keep being like maybe something weird's going on over there but no no we want to give them you know maybe not maybe not and then something weirder happens and they're like okay okay there's more credence to this so that's what I see it as. Is it's, a, it's, right. a, it's a snowball effect. Okay. Until it gets totally out of control. But I said Tom Hanks would save the neighborhood. Goodness will win. He's going to run around with a robe and a spatula. I don't, did he have a spatula ever? I don't know. I, no, that's I just on the truck. That's okay. on the poster. But he did wear a robe. Yeah. So. That's it. Oh, and also, of course, the movies on TV there for the horror fans. Uh, when he falls asleep and has the nightmares, he is watching Race with the Devil. Uh, Love Race with the Devil. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. I didn't place Race with the Devil, but I have seen that. That's the one with the RV and the satanic motorcycle gang. So good. That's it. That's it. And Um, Dee Wallace? No. Karen Black? Who's the woman in it? Loretta Swit. And Lara Parker. Loretta Swit. Must be who I'm thinking of. She's not nearly as exciting as Dee Wallace or Karen Black. So... Fuck my drag. There you go. (laughs) So out of five copies of the art and practice of demonology, how many do you give it? I'm going to give it two. Mm. 
two bucks. The brandy joke is a death. <laughs> two stars. Hey, but it's not like, you know, Tetsuo. It's not like fucking kill me. Yeah. Uh, How many I, do you I, give it? Four and a half. Mm. Solid. Wow. Solid. Scream. Split scream. Very split. <laughs> I know, man. I like, I, and this makes me so like, uh, you know, once bitten twice shy about so many of my favorite like 80s flicks where I'm like, oh, this is a great one. He's going to love it. And you're like, I couldn't stand this movie. So I'm like, oh, man, you I just know. never can tell. And see, now no. I'm just automatically worried. You're just going to no matter what you thought of Scream Queen, you're going to say, I didn't like it. I didn't like it <laughs> as, as much as as much as I want to to be contentious. Like, let's make the whole thing contentious. Now, that movie was way. Okay, let's, all right, let's, let's move on. Uh, all right, so Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. The tagline is, the claws are out. Scream Queen examines the infamous homoerotic subtext and the special place the film holds in the Nightmare franchise, as well as the gay film canon. Partly in thanks to evolving social mores, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, which was considered controversial at the time of its release, is now being looked back upon with a new appreciation and fondness by horror aficionados and fans of the series. <gasps> that was a long one. Yeah, that's a that's got a lot of big words in it. It does. That has some college words. In so there. first, my first question: Did you rewatch Nightmare on Elm Street two? I did. I did. I did as well. I watched Nightmare on Elm Street two first, and then I watched this. I did as well because I had it the last time, and this time I was like, "I that's a good idea. I'm going to do that." In Nightmare on Elm Street two is a movie that, as a movie, it's generally I think a mediocre slasher movie. Agreed. But like watching something like this makes me want to like it more. Like, mm-hmm. I want to love Nightmare on Elm Street 2 more, but it's not great, is the problem. Like, it's just not a great movie. Um, I love the idea that it's been reclaimed, and now it's part of, like, some other canon that people can identify with, and it's got a fandom, and that's awesome. But for me, I'm like, eh, it's kind of a boring movie. It's got some cool stuff, some cool moments, but mostly it's yeah, uh, it's a lesser. Like, some of the effects are kind of good, and that's yeah. There's some cool it. Freddy moments. Um I love that Clue Gulliger is the dad in it. So Bert from Return of the Living Dead is just in there oh, hamming it up. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. He's great. But uh, other than that, you're like, and actually, I mean, Mark Patton, I, I've i always enjoyed his performance in Nightmare on Elm Street too. So he's oh, man. great. I love Grady. I He is one of my all-time hottest horror guys. I think he is just so incredibly hot and i really like kim myers as lisa i Mm -hmm. i read that she was cast partially because mark Patton really wanted her and partially because she looked like meryl streep and she really does kind of she does she does and she's sweet and i I always had a thing for red-haired girls back in like my my heterosexual days that's what always had crushes on were like the really pretty redheads and like carrie green from like the goonies like i Mm. always had a thing for that the redhead tess hannah if you're listening hi (laughs) and the title looks so horrible in this like when the title comes up it's like are you watching like a really bad made for tv movie just when freddy's revenge comes up and it's just all metallic like i get what they're going for like the gloves but it just looks so horrible that's what i was thinking yeah it's got that it's got that uh just Come on, guys, the design there. Where's the graphic designer on this thing <laughs> uh, to really make it look cool? But yeah, it, it's a movie that I was thinking like has Freddy or yeah, Freddy's Revenge. Has it had its like Halloween three moment 
you know like is it one of those movies or like we were talking about with day of the dead where like it came out fans didn't like it but now over time it's been reclaimed as like actually this is a underrated classic you know it's a great movie in its own right i don't think it's quite there because i guess again i don't think it's actually that good of movie so you're never gonna totally save it in that way that they're like it's a forgotten masterpiece but i digress moving on to scream queen that documentary was I had so much, I got so much enjoyment from watching the documentary that it, again, it made me want to like Freddy, uh, Freddy's Revenge more. Like I wish I loved it more, but man, this movie, this is the kind of documentary I like, which is just a slice of life. Like I'm just fascinated by watching. He's an interesting person and just watching mm-hmm. an interesting person, much like American movie uh, with Mark uh, Borchardt. He was an interesting person. This is an interesting, and it's just fascinating to see somebody's like whole, you know, career, if you will, in retrospect like that, like the whole life. And you can, like, I feel like your opinion on him, at least mine changed and evolved throughout it. Like there were times where I'm like, okay, dude, like get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Not like the director was to him, which oh, I was gonna say made me it? way more angry almost than the the screenwriter when that director pulled him aside that next day and was like, "I've been thinking about it, and you really need to get over yourself." Yeah. Like I never felt like that, but there are times where I'm like, "Okay, well, you're a little like self important, you know." But like yeah. I also didn't like live through it, mm-hmm. you know. But I think there's something too, like he just sort of disappeared and took himself out of the whole scene for so long that to then come back, it would be hard not to go on YouTube and read all the comments and not to dive into like a Google K-hole, like, and be like, what do people think of this? I've been away from it for 20 years or whatever. And when you start to hear people are really talking about this, I feel like you could easily fall down that as opposed to being in the scene and staying in the scene and learning those lessons of, you know what, don't Google yourself and don't read the comments and fuck those people like he he's not living the the social media life that we all have been for so long it seemed he really pulled himself away from it mm-hmm. so how can i relate to what he was going through and how could i be like you should know better because i don't think he he did had any reason to yeah sure yeah and i also i, I found it fascinating too that there's multiple levels to this uh, documentary because it, it one it was like a history of his little career then you had the digression into the, I love a good, uh, what I'll call a video essay about a film, like just doing a critical analysis of Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and then like its relationship uh, to the queer community. I thought that was fascinating that that was just throughout, you know, they had a wonderful dissection of that in there, segue back into Mark Patton uh, and his where he's at now coming back to the, the, the con world and uh, all of that. And just what he more, a little deeper, more personal than the surface level career thing that the beginning was. And then those connections at the end with these other players that were involved, like I, I, I don't, the, the structure there, it was fascinating and kept me guessing where it was going to go next. Not just a straightforward, like we're just going to follow him around and see what happens. Like they actually went some interesting places with it. And I feel like that there's that one scene where there's the two guys talking at one of the conventions about, oh, and he's so cool. He'll come up and he'll like put his hand like by your throat and like pretend to strangle you. And like, and he's like, oh, but he just kind of touches you lightly. And then one guy's like, I don't want him touching me. I was going to comment on those guys where I'm like, seriously? Like you guys got approached by film crew and you want to like be assholes like that? Like, but I feel like that is probably 
a good representation of the horror community. And again, you can't stereotype everyone, but mm-hmm. I think that there are a lot of these really like these guys who aren't so comfortable with like yeah the, the gay shit if you will and mm-hmm. then there's other people who are like like the other i think they were both straight it very much seemed but the one guy was just like yeah he's cool and this and that and the other guy's like i don't need no homo touching me you know and i feel like that that there isn't a lot of gay representation in horror and i feel like this is one of those early one of the earliest a little more blatant than veiled things like we've talked about with like werewolf or you know vampire mm-hmm. movies like something that's like very 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 veiled and this here as he's talking about is like not so much undertones as overtones yeah yeah like Where they're know, like it obvious. wasn't subtext it was just text <laughs> yeah like that's what it was but it is weird because i remember I don't remember the first time I heard that this is such a gay movie, but it is the very first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I saw. I remember it was a new release when we got it. I was sick one day. I remember where it was, which is why I knew it was a new release. So we're probably talking 86, 87, because it's Wyoming. So who knows when we got it Mm -hmm. (laughs) as a new release. But I remember watching it and like that it was the first one. It was my introduction to Freddy. I don't remember like seeing all the boy, but I remember the coach and I remember there being like a weirdness there. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. I feel like some, sometime in the two thousands and I want to say like mid to late is when I first read about the gay, that this is the gayest horror movie ever made. And when I rewatched it, I was like, it does feel like anti-gay as opposed to like embracing your inner self being who you are don't be afraid it's not a monster like it is like it's inside of you you fear it yet the kiss of a woman cures you Mm -hmm. and it feels very homophobic and i remember going into one of my gay groups on facebook and i was like this feels like homophobic or along those lines, I said, it feels like anti-gay. And someone was like, no, it's representative of this and this and this. But then you watch this documentary and he's like, that's what he says it kind of was. Yeah. But I don't think he was like, I hate gay people. And that's what this movie's saying. Yeah, no, I think it was like the screenwriter talked about later too. I think he was just picking up on veins of things in the 80s in the context of when he wrote this that made straight male audiences who were going to be the what they perceived as their target audience really uncomfortable like put in some sexuality that makes i think that was meant to push along some more under the surface fear and tension uh and anxiety it is really annoying that um david chaskin his stories seem to evolve and change over the years that's like super annoying sure. but it also goes to show like oh no i'm not going to admit that that's what it was and then when people start to think it's cool and it's in textbooks and people want to talk to you that all of a sudden you're like oh no it's actually this and that your tune could change but also like do you remember exactly what you had in mind when you wrote this thing how how many years ago is it now? over 30 years 35 ago 35 years ago or more yeah yeah like, do you fully remember especially if you weren't talking honestly about it in the beginning and weren't being honest about it with everyone around you like do you really remember so i he yeah. is gross but like truly that director made me more angry than david chaskin Yeah, I agree totally. Like when the director was first a talking head in this documentary talking about it, I was like, oh, okay. He seems like well-intentioned enough, dude. Like, I think he was just trying to make a movie and, you know, 
who there's many factor who knows what was exactly happening. He was just trying to get his movie done. Uh, and he seemed inexperienced at the time he took it on and whatever. Um, but then when they get to that moment where he's talking about it and he's like, you're making all this shit up, you need to let it go, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, holy cow, like what an asshole. Like, where is that coming from? Like have his back. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you made the fucking thing. Like his performance, you're the director. You were in charge of it. Like take, take some ownership. Yeah, and Grady's like, you had to have known yeah. what you were doing with this movie. Like, there's no way you couldn't have had an idea as, like, a, a grown man who's a director in these meetings with this. Like, there's no way you couldn't have had any idea that that's where we were going. And the director's the captain of the ship because, like, you get the script and, like, regardless of what's written on the page, if the director decides to do it a different way, like, you know, the written page doesn't matter. The director's in charge of what happens when they actually go to do it. And he did it exactly. So it's like, you need to take some ownership here that you didn't make any changes or, you know, whatever. But then you get to David Chaskin, the writer, and like, I thought it was going to go one way. And then they have that sit down and I'm like, okay, this was not what I thought was going to happen in this movie. Cause especially cause it starts so tense and so awkward, but there does seem to be some reconciliation there. Uh, and I do wonder what was on the cutting room floor of that conversation too i do too because mark Patton does leave and that's where my opinion of him really changes not that i disliked him before i i, I did like him and i could like um feel for his plight and his journey and empathize with him but when he leaves he's like i put so much on him on david chaskin and like i needed to it wasn't all about him it was about all these other things as well and i sort of like put all of my my feelings and my anger and my resentments all into this one person because that's the easy thing to do is have your scapegoat as opposed to like as we say in our recovery groups like what part do i have in this and mm -hmm. not to say like you have to be like it's my fault it's my fault but usually you have some sort of you're a cog in the larger scheme of things as well. And you have to own up to that and you have to look at that in order to actually be able to move forward. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like after that meetup, he really like it, like that clicks for him. And he's like, oh, it's not all about him. I just needed to like realize that. And now I can really move on. Mm -hmm. I just, it's, I can't imagine sitting though and watching this at like a drag club or something like they do because, because of the tone of the movie. Like, yes, he dances around and it's funny. And, you know, there's these scenes with boy butt and, you know, the gay bar and stuff like that, or the trans bars they talk about. But like, just where it all goes, I don't feel it's this liberating mm -mm. story of this gay guy who finds himself. If anything, he, pushes it down and a girl saves him from having to live that lifestyle. Yeah, no, I, I know where you're coming from. Cause I'm like, it's still a fucking nightmare on Elm street movie. Like it's still fucked up uh, and dark and nihilistic. Like most of them are. So it's like, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not like a celebration of anything, you know? But I also get like these little like gay boys that are on talking about like, man, this movie. Yeah. It connects because I get that because it was the first one I saw and probably somewhere in my psyche, I started to link those things because there weren't a lot of movies at the time that showed a lot of boy, but definitely that weren't showing, you know, some of these stories and like the, the coach, like I always thought he was kind of hot. Now I watch it. And I'm like, that's weird. I don't, can't believe I thought he was kind of like dirty daddy hot, but I, I did. And so like when those guys were talking, like I really emotionally connected with that. Mm -hmm. But I still, I'm not like, 
after just having rewatched it, I'm not like, oh yeah, it's like such a powerful gay story. It's like, yeah. it's an important in the canon of gay films, I feel, or gay themed movies, but in a very different way than something like Philadelphia is. You yeah, know? no, like <laughs> I know what I know what you're saying because it's like, yeah, sure, it's important to the canon because of what it was, like as in the movie itself, as an artifact, it's yeah. important. The movie, like the content of the story itself, it's still just a slasher movie. <laughs> So there's not anything like I don't think of the story itself. There's nothing revelatory or life affirming uh, in that movie, uh, in the story of the movie itself. Robert England seems so cool. Like every yep. time he was on, I'm just like, you're a class act. Like you're yeah. so great. Robert England is always a delight. I can listen to him talk forever and he can talk forever from what I hear. So. And I thought they were very sweet when they sort of reconnected at that convention. I wish there would have been more of him. Like, they had some good solo interviews with him, but I wish there would have been some more between him and Mark Patton. Mm -hmm. And I wish there would have been a little bit more of Kim Myers as well, like, because I really wanted to hear her take. Mm -hmm. And she, I feel like, talked the least of, like, the people that came to that convention. Yeah. But, you know, that is what it is. I love the opening credits. They are just in the music. I think there's a soundtrack for this because that music, so much yeah. of it is just that synthy amazing. And that opening sequence with all of the Scream Queens is just lovely. I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, it is very good. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, too, like my... Because Nightmare on Elm Street, I saw the original as like a little kid on TV. And then I must have seen... Because I, I have early memories of two and three. So I must have, you know, I've seen the first three on TV as a kid and just like, you know, they were just nightmare on Elm street movies. Like two didn't stand out in any weird way to me. It was just another slasher movie, mm -hmm. but that one had a boy instead of a girl, you know, it wasn't anything like deep seated where I was like, huh, what's going on here. But for me, like my relationship to a lot of these slasher franchises was that like, I saw some of them as a kid and then like, I would be familiar, you know, I'd rewatch the original. Like I was very familiar with nightmare on Elm street or Halloween, like coming up, but never really like re-watched a lot of these sequels until like late high school, maybe even college before I went back and was like, you know, the originals are great. I should really revisit all of these sequels though to all of these things. And that was when I started re-watching all the Nightmare on Elm Streets or, you know, uh, a, a lot of the sequels. And then when I watched two again, I do remember being like, oh, wow, like this reads so different now. Like... Uh, as you know, a grown person as I am now in the world, as we know it now, like, wow, this is a totally different movie from what I remember it being. So it is fascinating to see a documentary like this really delve into that. And I think you are the responsible party, even though it came from you and your wife. But I think it was my 40th birthday. So two years ago, you got me that the doll. That yes, it comes in like that almost looks like a giant VHS box of like yes. the original artwork, which for this is I didn't see that for so many years because the cover I remember is like, you know, Freddie's glove is like sort of ripping the poster. Yeah. 
And that, but that original artwork, which is that artist who did all of the movies, it's just so beautiful. But you gave me that, that thing and you open it up and it's like Freddy. And then it has like the two little dolls with the faces. Yeah. The, the little dogs. <laughs> yeah. It's in our living room. And, um, and it's, it was an amazing gift. So thank you. Yes. I am the responsible <laughs> party. Cause I was like, Oh, he'll love, he'll love this. Yeah. And I mean, we couldn't have known each other long at that point. Cause no, it was pretty was, early. Yeah. Like two years and some change ago so yeah so thank you you get me (laughs) absolutely yep those uh and specifically that's um the company is i think neca right neca yes yeah they do they do all those awesome horror movie character uh i have one of um i have the zombie jason from the dream sequence in the beginning of part five oh figure of that one uh, and then I have Michael Myers from the 2018 movie. Okay. Uh, and those are awesome, awesome figures. They do some great stuff. So, yeah. If you're a, if you're a collector that's into the knickknacks, toys kind of stuff, they have some kick-ass shit. So, so I mean, your prediction, you knew exactly. This movie was very obvious on what it was about. Yeah. So you had yep. everything correct. I'm not. We don't even need to go over it because. You're right, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. I you, got it. You like to be right. and I knew what it was. Are, so. I love to be right. <laughs> it's vindicating. So, out of five booty pops to a drawer, <laughs> how uh, many booty pops do you give it? Solid four. I give it a solid four as well. Scare of approval. It just it touches me a little bit in my heart, and I also just... You know, anything horror I'm into. And if there's a gay element, I'm particularly into it. And it's just a, a cool emotional journey. I dig it. Yeah, I was I was just in. I just love these documentaries with like a fascinating person. I just found him fascinating. So that made this made it made it an easy watch to just get sucked in and watch this thing. So celebrate Pride. It's on Shutter. It took me forever to watch this. Like it was available for so long and I just didn't and i don't know why so i recommend Mm -hmm. go out watch it i followed like the production of this damn thing like i remember when this was news that uh it was on all the horror sites that they were trying to find mark Patton originally for you know never uh sleep again uh and then post that they were like we're trying to do this documentary with him we gotta like you know get in touch with him because he's hard to get in touch with so i remember just following the production of this thing and then it happened and i was like cool can't wait to watch it and then i just didn't (laughs) when it came out but i finally have corrected that so i have two other little bits about nightmare on elm street 2 that i want to mention i'm listening to the score because it's the only movie that doesn't use the the same score from the first one and Mm -hmm. i'm like the music's actually pretty good but i kept hearing it i was like that's flowers in the attic and sure enough i look it up and it's the same composer who did flowers in the attic and numerous other things yeah christopher young because i was watching when i watched it too the very beginning is like this orchestral uh mm-hmm. swell like really gothic sounding yeah and i was like oh who did this because i was like because this is weird for the time because this was all synthesizer music usually in the 80s for horror movies and like this mm-hmm. is an orchestra and then i saw christopher young's name pop up and i was like yes because he did Hellraiser one and two. Yes, that's that's what I was like. There's something I know you know. <laughs> yes, and those scores are incredible, and that's what made him stand out in the '80s. Is he was doing all these horror movies, but using actual orchestras instead of synthesizers, like everybody else was doing. So, and getting this really gothic feel for everything he did. Yeah, the score is really actually quite good. I think. Yeah, it's particularly good. 
And IMDb also says that Brad Pitt, John Stamos, and Michael J. Fox and Christian Slater either auditioned or were considered for Jesse. And what a an interesting movie it would have been if any of them had done it. Yeah, that would have been different. They would have taken it in a different direction. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure they would have. I'm sure. Uh, and I do want one of those Jesse t-shirts. I do too. I looked them up. I found them online and just I'm like trying to figure out which color and do I want a tank top since I don't own any tank tops. Yeah, I was like, that's fucking cool. I want one of those. Yeah, those are really cool. So we'll have to get, get a, a matching pair and sport them around. We should. Let's do it. Well, thanks, Jeremy. And please, if you want to write to us, like Teacher Drew has been doing the last couple weeks, and Ethan, um, scaringisharing at gmail.com. Follow us on Insta. We really appreciate you listening. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let us know what you think of these movies. Am I the only one who doesn't like the burbs in the entire world? I mean, this is like this is like ravenous all over again. (laughs) It is, it is, it is, it is. Oh well. Well, I guess we had we had a few laughs. Yep. We made some memories. Yep. Hell pay on and go down the uh the slip and slide. Yeah, and remember guys, Satan is good. Satan is your pal. Uh until <laughs> next time. Bye. Scaring is sharing. Scaring is sharing. This has been a production of Planet Amp Podcast, powered by Pinecast.